Welcome to All Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero. Hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! It's officially <laughs> season five. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are in season five. Woo! That's so cool. It is very cool. I mean, it's I'm, arbitrary because... I, yeah. we make the seasons. It's, it's not self, like, it's not yeah, like we're doing our it ourselves. network picked us up. <laughs> but I mean, that's what, I guess that's what I'm proud of. I was like, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, I think with like COVID, a lot of artistic or creative people are doing a lot of like workshops online and shit. And there was this free workshop about like marketing your creative, um, stuff you know whatever it is that you do creatively and like selling it um and my sister was like my sister's an art teacher and does her own she's an artist like in her own right and she was like i might check this out like if you want to hop on it whatever but the lady was talking about um she was like think of a thing that you are a fan of and like look around your room and see something and i'm like have all this hellboy stuff and i'm like okay hellboy And it's like, what do you value in that thing? And like, what does it give to you? And I'm like, it gives me like structure. Like it gives like, you know, even though we set the schedule, we have like, you know, a schedule. Yeah. And do do something and make something regularly. And I was like, honestly, like I enjoy the comics in themselves and would read it anyway at this point now that I know how great they are. But it's like nice to have. Sorry, Jess is opening and closing drawers just for fun. What do you need? I'll help you. I'm sorry. Anyway, that's a. It's nice. It's nice to have five seasons and to consistently still do it. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're doing this. I. I I mean, I don't know why anybody would think otherwise. uh, This is definitely a passion project for us. It's not. We're not. We're not raking (laughs) in money. We're not behind a paywall. We're not, you know what I mean? No one is putting advertise. No one's like that show needs. We need to get on their advertising. Like I'm kind of fine not reading like a me undies ad or whatever. Yeah, like, I'm, fine. I'm. I'm happy to just do it. Yeah. Um, this is essentially just for us to 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 enjoy this thing that we love, and then also it gives me. I mean, you know, full full disclosure. I haven't read absolutely everything on Hellboy. I never claimed to be an expert, but this is like. Given it's me such cons- a good excuse to to be like, okay, let's make sure we get every little thing printed and like every story and every like free comic book day thing. Like, it feels very thorough and it like checks something off for me. <laughs> I agree, and also, I mean, I've learned along the way too of like what it helps you like define like sort of your own taste for a be- lack of a better word taste as well as like what you like and what you dislike even within a, a thing that i love hellboy I, I, we found stuff that i'm like well i love this this i don't like as much uh-huh. and it's not and i don't see that as like disparaging to like those people like you're doing it wrong or you need to correct that it's more of like well then now i know what i when i sit down to, to create yeah, you can just discern what yeah you could i can pull what i think works for me or what i prefer and and try to in in a sense emulate that in my own work, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it feels like it feels like too. It's like I guess for me, it's like a I didn't have any kind of thing where I was like, or for for like school, like an English class or something. You do like critical reading and you like read a something and talk about it. And like 
I guess I didn't realize how much I enjoyed that and like missed doing something like that. And this very much is that like we're we're able to like, you know, it's a book club. And then it's also cool, like beyond like obviously like we've created a friendship between ourselves way stronger. Like I like knew you, but we didn't like we weren't like bros. And now I would say we are bros. We're bros. And now I would say (laughs) (laughs) and then everybody else like listening, like the everybody who like regularly like comments on stuff on Instagram. it, It feels like a true actual small community, which is like. You know, I'm sure it sounds a little corny, but it, I genuinely feel that way. It's no, really cool. I don't think it's corny. I think it's true and it's awesome and it's fun. It's yeah. fun to build on that. Um, yeah. For, you know, I, I love it every time when a listener calls us out on a mistake, mostly mine. <laughs> and because it's just like, well, I, someone's everybody. listening. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they gave a shit enough to be like, hey, you guys got this wrong. That's why we appreciate that, too. It's like I would never feel like. Oh, why would they call me out for this? It's like helpful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and in addition to that, I mean, I was gonna say, I think I just lost my train of thought because I was so excited about what we were talking about. But that's fine. Let's see if I can find it before we move it's on. It's a completely unplanned rant about that. I like this doing this yeah, <laughs> this that, podcast. That's yeah. our podcast, <laughs> right? <laughs> Oh, I was going to say something about other things that I've benefited from just reading the work. I guess like our movie and comic suggestions, like you've definitely given me suggestions for stuff to watch, too. Yeah, we definitely outside of the comic stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, I, that, I don't know what the thought was, but you'll think of it halfway through us talking about the yeah, comic. I'll, I bet <laughs> you'll be like, oh, this is what this is what I thought. <laughs> but I think it's uh, th- that being said, moving on to the piece that we're about to to discuss which um, is pretty much all is what we have for this episode. I'm very excited to discuss this one with you because, um, which is the crooked man. Yeah. The crooked man is what we're going to be covering today. At least the first two issues. It is. It, I think this is probably one. I think this is up there fan wise with the corpse from what I know. And what I, um, is that people really revere this one. It's like yeah. one of the, and I, 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 I We'll get into it, but I think it is up there. I think story-wise. It's really cool. Rereading it last night before we got on today, I was like, oh, there's, there are things I immediately was like, man, I, I think it, it just is solid. It's super solid. Yeah. Um, I almost want to save my thoughts on Mignola's writing because I think he does something that's very rare. Um, and and I would say difficult, but he pulls it off um, in his in the, his choice of his writing style here, um, which is very cool. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll get into that more when we get into okay. the issue. I think I'm excited to hear. It's it. not anything mind blowing. I just, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he se- he seeks out to do something, and I think he 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 does it. Um, yeah. But before we get into that, I would just want to say that like. Uh, rest in peace to Richard Corbin. I don't. I don't yeah, I can't he died recently. Yeah, we were not. We were in hiatus. He he died on the the second of December in twenty twenty, um, right after some heart surgery. I think there was complications, and he passed at eighty years old. He's you know born back in uh, nineteen forty. Um, so he lived a great life. He definitely is a big contributor to to uh, the world of comic books and yeah. you know um, graphic uh, heavy metal, big he time did, heavy metal. Um, <laughs> 
He he did the cover for Bad Out of Hell, which <laughs> yeah. I love. I fucking love that album, dude. I I yeah. It's a great album. It's so good. Hell yeah. And the cover is so much of it. I think it's such a cool, fun cover. But he did all kinds of cool shit. Yeah, and, and he's been. And he, I mean, there'll be more of him, of course, after the Crooked Man. Uh, we already read one of his stories, Macoma, mm-hmm. um, and then the other ones we'll we'll have. But I think. For me, his his contribution. I love his Hellboy. I think it's a cool, like it's a cool. Uh, it's just a take. It's just his. I think a solid take on on him. But I also, yeah. I just visually, I mean, and I just think this is again, as I already previously said, I think this is a very revered um, short story. It's up there um, as many people's favorites or one of their favorites, and I think it's partially. To his his art, it's just yeah. I, even more than Macoma. Macoma, Macoma, like we already discussed that. So go to that episode. But this, yeah, spooky. Exactly. I think this story and Richard Corbin's is like the perfect marriage of like really for this story. It's just everything just comes together beautifully. That's I mean, that hundred percent. They agreed with what I'm saying, and or. Poorly articulating because in 2009, this one, the Eisner, the Eisner for like, uh, right. I believe it's recognized. <laughs> yeah, it's recognized. It got the yeah. for best limited series. So it's like, yeah. okay, we, we get it. We know what we're getting yeah. into. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we do um, let you take over and guide us through this, these first two issues, Kate, um, I wanted to just um, touch on the forward, which is, of course, it's a forward in the collected version. Of uh, your first, like the Crooked Man and others, and then in the library edition, it's in the back. Is like a, they always collect those in the back for an afterward. Um, but I think it was just cool because I don't know a lot of like where is this reference. One, I don't know much about the the folklore of the Crooked Man as well as this character he's pulling from, and this sort of like adds to what I think Mignola pulled off. So I'm gonna probably read almost the majority of this. That sounds good, yeah, because I have, I couldn't find it in my copy. I, I must have just overlooked it, so I'm very interested to hear it. Yeah, I don't know where it is in those short stories, the new collection, so. Yeah. Um, this says, Manly, Manly Wade Wellman's character, John. Again, I don't know that writer very much, but cool. This character, John, is what he's t- pulling his influence from, who wandered around the Alpachian, is that how you say that? Appalachian? Appalachian. Appalachian. Right? I, Appalachian is correct. I just yeah. didn't check before I spoke. You're fine. <laughs> Appalachian Mountains playing his guitar and fighting monsters. And this also says, see the essay at the back of this book for more info. I haven't read that essay yet. And hopefully it's still collected in the digital version. Um, was a major influence on me when I created Hellboy. Some of the better Hellboy stories, the corpse, heads, the troll witch, have that aimless wanderer feel. But until the crooked man, I'd never set a story in John's neck of the woods. In fact, I'd done very few stories set in America and none drawing on American folklore. Oops. <laughs> uh, usually I have a, some vague plot idea before I start doing research for a story. Not this time. Other than locations, I had no idea what I was going to do. Fortunately, over the years, I picked up a couple of collections of those Appalachian uh, folktales, knowing this day would eventually come. I sat down and started reading, circling cool bits I wanted to use, witch balls, cat bones, etc. And before I was halfway through the first book on all those bits sort of those all those bits sort of cobbled themselves into a story. It all came together much faster than I expected. I love when that happens. 
doesn't happen very often, and it never happens on a story this long. Um, which I I, I want to just interject that like I for, like forgot how like long and dense this story just for three issues is. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, this like there was a part when I was reading it last night. I'm like, I think this is where the break is, and I'm like, no, it's <laughs> it keeps going. It's it's yeah. it's a it, that I think that's also um, a highlight of it is it's a lot of times I think these shorter stories. These limited series can feel a little like we've talked about this, but like they can feel rushed because it's like there's a page limit. This feels like he got to indulge. And I love that yeah. in a good way too, not like a bad indulgence <laughs> precise, but also dense. Um, where was I? Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> my goal here was to do something that I th had the feel, the authenticity of those folktales without being an adaptation of any of one of them, which is what Wellman's stories always felt like to me. And I think I managed to pull that off. Of course, I could not have pulled it off without the great Richard Corbin. For my money, nobody draws better scruffy trees, twigs, falling down churches than Richard. I wrote this story specifically for him, and he really delivered the goods. Curiously, while I was writing the story, my daughter discovered a cat leg bone in our backyard. Creepy. Ugh. No other bones, just that one leg bone. Funny, I used it for reference when drawing the title page for this story. The Crooked Man, of course, was originally published in three-issue miniseries in 2008 and won that 2009 Eisner Award for Best Limited Series. So Wait. I guess I just I, I held my opinion just because I wanted to touch on what he touches on because he's already stating it. What was that author's name of the character John again it from is the very beginning? A silly name. Man Manly Wade Wellman. Cool. Manly Wade when Manly Wade is looks like well, the way it's printed looks like one word, but it probably is not. This is why I think why I loved and especially in the reread of this, is it truly felt like Mignola and <laughs> listening to his his struggles with his own writing and his self-deprecation that finding he like I, I feel like he sort of drudged and sort of like you know had a hard time in a sense like any writer just giving in to being like okay I'm gonna write my own thing and I, I think that's historically correct by like he had John Byrne write the first Hellboy was fearful to start writing but then eventually he, I think he found his groove and by the time where we are now we're like there's nobody writing Hellboy better right yeah and I found it very interesting that you do have the sense of him in this this story, but I feel like he really delivers on it feeling like he's interjecting this other author's style into it. And I think he does it so well. We'll get into it. Like a lot of the dialogue does not feel like a classic Mignola dialogue. It feels like yeah. another genre. And I think there are parts where I think where you can get that right or you can get it wrong. For example, I think we we bumped heads a little bit or bumped on Iron Prometheus following, you know, they tried to do that pulpy thing. And we, for us, we were like, yeah, you're doing it, but it's a little too much of it. And it doesn't feel congruent with the rest of what we love about the Hellboy universe. This feels like he's just infusing it with this other genre. And this guy's in, influenced by this other writer and he's just nailing it. It's like, oh, I love this. I think the dialogue is spot on. It doesn't feel like the other books, but it feels yeah. like it, it really feels like this Appalachian like world that Hellboy has now just like wandered into. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's I think it's 
it's cool because I mean he try I he definitely incorporates all of these other folklores in most of Hellboy stories. Like there's some basis of you know of the tales, whether he's like changing it slightly or whatever. And he does definitely go for immerse immersion in that like where when like Rasputin speaks in just like a symbol, but you know it's like this deep speech, cool sounding kind of like witchy thing. But this is like an actual like existing people who like probably Americans have at least like seen some depiction of like Appalachian like hillbilly kind of hillbilly elegy. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, like for like lack of a better term, you know, hillbilly is probably very disparaging. I don't know, maybe hillbilly. I would never call term. anybody a hillbilly, but I'll happily let them call not themselves. to their face. <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, I was thinking like this is it. Really, it's like you're saying it kind of feels like that story, and then Hellboy's there too. Like it's kind of this story first and foremost, but in a natural way. Like it feels. It feels genuine and like I, I love two depictions of the devil in like American folklore because, mm-hmm. yeah, you get these kind of like and in the story, they'll kind of touch on it, like things that existed before white people got here. And then also like like even back when it was just the native people, like they still avoided this place, like that kind of stuff makes it it like transcends culture like the idea that like both of these cultures acknowledge that something bad is here mm-hmm. at this place, like this evil place. I think it's just like a neat idea. Um, this idea of like a haunting bad thing, not just being like some Christian deity or devil. Yeah, I agree. Like when, when an evil is presented to you, like that has been around for hundreds of years or ancient and through generations, it yeah. makes it scarier. I'm immediately yeah. like, ha. Ah. It's like everyone acknowledges, all humans acknowledge that this is a bad thing. Yeah. It's really, I. it seems, it enriches it a lot for me. It's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get into it, okay? Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, The Crooked Man, uh, as you said, published back in 2008, between July and September of 2008, uh, written by Mike Mignola, illustrated by Richard Corbin, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, and edited by Scott Alley. Boo. And, uh, boo, <laughs> boo. You know, maybe he's changing. Maybe he's learning. I don't know this man. <laughs> I hope he's changed. That's all I can say. Is I, I hope he's changed. He fucking should. Uh, anyways, uh, besides the point. Uh, yeah, we have, um, the Crooked Man opening with, uh, the Appalachian, Ma- the Appalachian Mountains, Virginia. There's like smoky mountains. I love this sort of like dappled kind of like inking that, Corbin has done yeah. like it's just his like pretty like signature kind of style here and Mignola it's funny that he acknowledged his like broken twigs and tree branches and stuff because they're so it's just beautiful he's just showing little like little kind of inserts little shot like you know panels of a squirrel up high in a in a in a almost bare branch or like a little wooden or a fucking wooden a little dirt path through the hills and stuff like that and like smoke coming off of the these like pines and it's it just creates such atmosphere right off the bat before we hear a word and it says 1958 but it, there's always something dangerous about like a thick wood like I'm even if there's a path I'm like I don't know what yeah it feels ominous path to where it like leads into you know just kind of 
leads to you can't you can't see where. So it's a yeah, very kind of eerie right off the bat. And the way that he draws, the way that he like depicts this dog too, this like sort of like sick looking old hound dog that's sitting outside of the <laughs> this sort of dilapidated house. There's like a little f- barn and house and uh, kind of even though it's 1958, what looks to be a rusted old car for even for the 58, you know? Yeah, totally. And you hear people talking about how they found this woman. She's bewitched. She's like hexed and they're explaining it to Hellboy. Like, yeah, it was um, it, like no doctor's going to help her. It was um, uh, Cora Fisher came up here and she chucked a witch ball at her, basically. <laughs> and then somebody somebody off panel is like, that's that'd be the same Cora Fisher lived up on uh, lived up on Turkey Creek. I knew her years back. She weren't a witch then. And they're like shocked. It's this guy, Tom Farrell, who's been gone for a long time. And now he's back. You know, he's like road weary kind of looking like he's like gaunt and has his like little sleeping pad there. But he walks up and he has in his hand the witch ball. He's like, yeah, this is I found this on her doorstep. And that's what caused that bruise. Like it got thrown at this woman and it bruised her. So yeah, Hellboy's like, all right, well, I got to find this Cora Fisher then, this witch. We're going to talk to her. This mysterious guy just walked back into town. Tom Farrell is there. He's like, yeah, I know the way to her house. I'll show you. And then Tom, you know, he apparently has some kind of relationship with like witchcraft or he like knows enough to tell them how to break this hex. You know, he's like, burn that witch ball and... Uh, boil her clothes while you're saying the witch's name and that'll get rid of the spell. He's like, yeah, I got to go see my mom like on the way. And they tell him, oh, your mom died years ago and your dad's been missing. And he was kind of a drunk. So maybe he like just went into the woods and drank himself to death at this point. He doesn't seem devastated by this news. You know, he like very much takes it in stride and is like stoic about it. Yeah, it seems very like. I guess for somebody that's been gone for like, you just kind of are like, well, I, yeah, maybe he expected it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he, he leads Hellboy up to the witch's house. And as they're going, they're kind of just talking to each other, passing, you know, passing by like little creatures in the woods and more like cool broken sticks. The sticks have like a weight to them. I mean, I hate to go on and on about a stick, Please. but he is good at drawing them. <laughs> like they're not, they don't seem like arbitrary and they have like, rather than having like one stroke of, of the pen, it's like a solid, it ha- it's like a complete outlined thing, mm-hmm. even if it's like a little twig and it gives it this like heft and yeah, I think it's, uh, they just look really cool. Yeah. It makes the woods feel really, um, like you said, like kind of thick and intimidating around them. Yeah, even though they're on a path, it because there's a couple of shots that already have established. There's one where they're walking on um, profile together, and then there's a twig that's like in the foreground. It just keeps you um, the forces around you at yeah. all moments, and I think that. And a as great they're touch. walking too, they have like this. They have a fork in the road with like a raven or you know a crow, <laughs> like there. You can imagine like the cawing. And also, like, sort of, cro- like, it's not like a full-blown, like, crossroads, but it, it just makes you think of, it makes me think of, like, American devil stories, you know? Yeah. Like, meeting him at the crossroads, that kind of shit. 
So yeah, pretty spooky stuff. Tom is saying he recognizes how he's like, yeah, I've seen in your picture, like in Life magazine, I know who you are. Uh, like, and you fought vampires and all this stuff. And they're just kind of like chatting. Hellboy mentions that he was found in a church in England. And Tom says, uh, in a church, you say, that's fine. Everybody knows the devil can't step foot in a church. Then like a cool shot of an owl with like some sort of small animal skull tied to a tree. Then Hellboy says, you know, I'm not. And Tom says, the devil, I've seen him and you don't look, uh, and he don't look nothing like you. I think that's a fun moment of mis, like miscommunication because I think, I think Tom is saying like, oh, you're, you're not bad because I know that if you were the devil or if you were evil, you wouldn't have been able to be in a church. And I yeah, think, to be like born out of a church or whatever, or found in one or whatever. And then Hellboy doesn't really pick up on that. Like he's like, it's sort of a, I think in a way, him saying like, "You're good, we're fine." And he's yeah. like, "Well, I'm not the devil." And then like, and then Tom being like, "Yeah, I know, I've seen him." <laughs> I'm sure he's just used to being like, "I'm, I'm not like uh, that's yeah. not me." Uh, <laughs> he's like, "No, I know, I know, I've seen him." So this is like a guy who's seen shit. Like Tom is not like some like wilting flower or something who's going to like see something scary and run away from it. And I also Um, absolutely love that this detail that Tom knows Hellboy because he was on. There was a picture of him in Life magazine. Yeah. Yeah. In 1948. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's the world I love about Hellboy is that he isn't a secret. He was literally put in a major ma- publication. Right. <laughs> in like, ni- yeah, uh, in the May 1948 issue, which is a nice little like <laughs> note too. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And then they they see the witch's house. We have like this cool sort of like overgrown stone and wood hut almost. We see smoke coming out of the chimney and the lights are on. But uh, nobody answers when Tom calls for her. They go inside. They find a bunch of witch balls. They find a Bible with a X crossed into it with Cora Fisher's name on it. And Tom sort of sadly is like saying to himself, like, ah, oh, girl, what did you do? And uh, pulls out also a little bottle with a cork shoved into it with like kind of like cobwebs all over it with a buzzing, still living sort of like fat bug. Yeah. Some kind of like big ugly cricket or something. And Tom says to it, you don't scare me. I know what. And then like he hears something. Uh, I think some it's voice. that bug. I, I, I interpret because it's hiss is the same color as the um, of the, his, his word bubble of the word. Bubble. You're 100 percent right. You are totally right. Uh, yeah, I didn't like I don't know. I didn't pick up on that before, but that's very obvious now that you say it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So the bug says to him, he knows. He knows you're coming. He's waiting. Then Hellboy's like, hey, what do you make of this? And it's Cora's skin, like, <laughs> laid out on the bed. Very gnarly looking. With a candle still burning. So, like, you know, Cora's probably, the rest of Cora is probably not far away. Her skin, yeah. And this, and Tom, like, identifies the bug as her demon familiar. But it's, like, bottled up. And he's like, maybe she was trying to starve it. And then... They kind of, as they sit and wait, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll wait for her to come back, basically. And Tom talks about, like, Hellboy's like, oh, so you saw the devil. Like, tell me about that. Tom's like, I was 15. Didn't have any sense. There was this uh, a girl, Effie Cobb, and she's, like, depicted as this, like, 
hot young temptress <laughs> in like a mountain spring who like shows him how to do some witchcraft stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, you can have like power over people. And it's just like, you know, like a classic, like tempting, you know temptress yeah this lady it's like how like, all old like uh, witches siren witches have been depicted like even in yeah. it's it immediately reminds me of like the crucible i'm like of course they're yeah. young and like men it's like to me it's like if we break it down it's just like oh so men were men were assholes and loved young women and then they like i fucked them well, it's because they're, they're a witch that's yeah. why <laughs> it's not me I, yeah. i'm the victim she had me entranced <laughs> Like, okay. <laughs> you know, that classic old shit. Yep. Um, which kind of is like, you know, it is a thing throughout this whole comic. Like, if you notice, like, which characters get uh, eviscerated and which characters, you know, it's like, it's a, it's not something that I want to, like, assign to this whole thing. But it's a, yeah, it's like a witch trope. It's like. Or, like, even in the movie Witch, mm-hmm. she, like, appears as, like, a hot young lady. And then, like, once the boy is, like, close to her, it's, like, ugly crone. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. So it's, like, that kind of deal. We see Effie, like, just showing him how stuff works. They're, like, naked in the woods together having a great time. He finds <laughs> a squished cat. He goes home and boils it. He rinses off the bones. And because Effie's, like, when you meet the devil, whatever bone you're holding, that's your lucky bone, Okay. And so he has this cat bone, which he still, as he's telling the story, picks up. It's like on a little string around his neck. And then he ta- he's like continuing to tell Hellboy, like, then when I did meet the devil, he didn't look anything like you. No offense, which I think is like a fun little insert, like a little line. There. Yeah. <laughs> the devil looks way fucking worse than Hellboy. Like, to me, this is such a creepy depiction of the devil. Um, uh, my question is, I don't know if I, I think he is not like the devil. I think no, it's no, like he's like a demon, a demon or like, or like you know. yeah, it's just like that's this he was new- like a guy, a human who was evil in life, who they I mean, and they basically say as much that he was like a miser who profited off misery. Um and then when he died he went to hell, but the devil sent him back to yeah m- hoard souls in the same way that he hoarded gold in life. So, yeah, he's just like an evil man who is like a the devil's little little guy who like goes and does some favors around these parts. <laughs> <laughs> he's looks so creepy. He looks like fucking Babadook or something. He's yes. like he comes out of the woods. He's the crooked man, obviously. So he's like uh, kind of bent to the side and his legs look like different lengths or something. And you get the. And I love that he's, like, silhouetted with the trees, too. These, like, these um, kind of bare, dead-looking trees that he's walking through. Yeah. It's great. It's really great. And I think he's crooked because he walks, like, I think he's in this state, his last state of being hung. Like, that's where his neck is on. It's such a creepy fucking detail that he can't move his head out of, like, the state of when he was hung. How he died. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this, like, ghostly clouded over eye and everything like that. It's, like, to have each eye be different. Ugh. Yeah, even the, even the, and when we're first going on that first close-up that you're describing, mm-hmm. it's interesting that even, like, the slight detail that Richard Corbin puts a, a tree splitting his face. Yeah. Is, is 
makes it even more horrific than just having it just uh, seem straight on because it makes you unsure of it gives you that feeling of like you're unsure if you're seeing it completely right like when you really are in the woods and you in the cor- your periphery there's like something passes through the trees or you think it's is that my mind like i think that's a yeah like you said it's a really fun way to play with that like am i seeing what i'm seeing is it this bad yeah. <laughs> and your head like conjures up the worst fucking thing possible because I don't know, fucking evolution or something. <laughs> but yeah, it's horrific. It's really great. And these flashback scenes to be like completely in like red. They give it like a very, this is fucking evil kind of yeah. a feel. And when Tom, as a kid, sees that, he's like, fuck that. He runs away. But when he gets to his house, he sees a familiar is there waiting for him, uh, like a little demon frog. <laughs> And he gets so upset, he's like, no, I'm out of here. He keeps running. He runs to a train. He, like, joins the army. He doesn't even say goodbye to his mom and dad. He fights in the Pacific Theater and, like, doesn't get a scratch on him, even though everybody around him is, like, having their fucking head blown off and stuff. Literally in that frame, the one frame for war is, like, or there's, like, ships arriving, which looks like D-Day, and then just a man's head exploding in war. Woof. I, I mean... Richard Corbin really gets to flex a lot of muscles here, too, because he has, like, if you, like, Google his shit, there's a ton of, like, fun war, you know, fun (laughs) war, awful war depictions and stuff. He gets to, like, really uh, do a lot of cool shit. And, yeah, so Tom's, like, continuing story, like, I, you know, I had this bone with me the whole time. My lucky bone, I guess. I don't, I don't, like, intentionally use its power. I try not to use it at all. But maybe that's what got me through the war and maybe I am a witch. And, you know, he's just kind of like lamenting that he ever messed with it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Then Cora comes home in raccoon form. (laughs) She crawls into her skin and you hear you have like a great scene of like cracking and creaking as her, you know, viscera and muscles and bone like transform from raccoon form back into Cora. (laughs) And then she's very surprised to see them when. They kind of walk in the room. She's like, what the hell are you doing here? And then she's basically like, I'm so sad. I did all this witch stuff, but it's like, I really, I know I shouldn't have done it. And I'm, I regret it deeply. And then we hear, we hear a voice from outside. You hush now, Cora Fisher. And we go outside and uh, who is it? But Effie Cobb on this like bent over horrible looking horse, just a horse that's like, its head is completely lowered. It's like skin and bone. And she looks the same. She looks, she's the same young, like voluptuous temptress that she was when Tom saw her last. And he says, he's like, uh, she don't look a minute older since the last time I saw her. And she's kind of like, she's smiling and she's like exuding evil. You know, she's (laughs) like this pale glowing figure in these dark, dark woods who's basically like being cutesy with them. And saying, like, okay, Tommy, like, you're, you know, he's going to come collect you. Hellboy's like, yeah, what about me? You, mister, he's not a bit afraid of you. Tommy, (laughs) I near forgot. He sent me to give you a present. And she, like, kind of pets the horse and then flies up like a crazy fucking witch would do. I love this flash Um, page. It's such a simplicity. Simple, but like, I don't know. It just, like, makes it, like, it's like a big reminder of, like, Oh, there's these greater mystic powers at play in just yeah. a simple splash page. And I got, you know, I extra love it because it's we get a we get a crap 
from Hellboy. <laughs> it's just, it's nice too because, I mean, obviously we've seen like Korra come in as a raccoon and like go into her skin, but it's felt like very intimate up to this point. Like the all of the magic is sort of like a bug in a jar or, or uh, in a bottle or like a Bible with an X on it. Like it feels like tangible things, like things that you could find in a real creepy fucking house. Yeah. Um, and then it starts to get a little real with Korra coming in as a, you know, and shape-shifting and shit. And then this is like, okay, there's some serious, powerful evil happening out here. And this is like Effie Cobb exhibiting that in like a pretty scary way. Hellboy gives us a crap. (laughs) (laughs) And then Effie Cobb flies away, cackling into the night, um, uh, saying, guess he's pretty near wore out. And Tom goes up and takes the bridle off of the horse. And the horse with the figure that was the horse falls to the ground and it's his dying father. And he's like, at least they kind of get to, t- I, I do like that. They, he gets to be like, Tom, you come home, you come. And then he dies. Yeah. So it's tragically sad, but they do get to see each other, which is like sweet in a way. I hate to say it, but as I look at myself right now, when we're recording and I look at the, my, my uh, facial structure of my beard and everything, I have to say it. I look like his dead dad. <laughs> you think you're going to, you think you're, that's you and like, <laughs> ten, I always joke with Jessica, like when I see somebody who just looks completely worn out, I'm like, oh yeah, that's me in like five years. <laughs> I don't even give myself a long window. I'm just like, there I am five years from now. Um, I don't think you look like this dying horseman, but uh, you're. <laughs> I know, I know what you mean as far as how you you could feel like you, you have a day where you feel like that. Um, that's funny though. Yeah, and then Tom's just sad. He's like, he's dead. She done this because of me. And yeah, Cora's like, uh, I guess like he asked Cora, is Reverend Watts still up there? So like he knows of a church that's kind of nearby. And he wants to bring his dad's body to be buried in holy ground. So they're going to do that first. And he's like, Cora and Hellboy, like, that'd be great if you would come with me. Cora doesn't want to, but she's like, she's going to go because she's just scared of what's going to happen to her now because she's lived this life devoted to witchcraft, basically. I don't she, even know. She I regrets it. I don't even know if Cora is, it's a life because I feel like, I feel like, um, oh gosh, what's, what? What's the other, uh, Effie? I feel like Effie has lived a life of witchcraft. I yeah, think- Effie's like born to do it. She's like, you know, she see it like the way that they describe her. It's like, oh, she was corrupted from day one. Like I've known her since she was little. Like they kind of talk about later in the comic. I think Cora, her her as she said, I think her husband or child died. So yeah, she her left- husband died and her children died. So she's alone. She thinks. Witchcraft, for whatever reason, we don't we, we really were left in the dark of really like what her original purpose was to touch witchcraft. But you can assume it was because of loneliness, maybe to bring them back. Who knows? Yeah. But it, yeah, I think. She, or did they die because she was getting into witchcraft could, for whatever yeah, reason? Yeah, for whatever reason, she I think she's dipped a toe into witchcraft thinking it would bring something more to her. And then yeah. it's immediately turned on her and she's just like, I'm fucked. I should have I should have sought like. I should have been able to sought like a, a different path to deal with my loneliness or whatever I was suffering, but I decided mm-hmm. to tip a toe into witchcraft and it fucking bit me in the ass. Yeah. Um, cause that's why I think it's like so sad for her is that I'm like, Oh, you 
yeah. barely touched this stuff, and now you're. It may, it does make you think about like it, like have you ever seen the um this documentary, The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia? Oh yes, I have. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me think of that. Like just because it's like you know up in the holler, like you know you have nothing else to do, you're desperately poor, and it's kind of like last resort like turning to something that isn't good mm-hmm. to solve problems whatever they are like extreme poverty you gotta just find something to deal with it or like the loneliness or you know the fucking sadness of just having your whole family die and leave you all alone. like i don't know yeah that if and that feels like a more fleshed out like i i guess i it's hard for me with like an effie cobb character Cause you just have to be like, okay, this is like, you're like a demon or like you're just straight up evil for whatever reason you were born bad. But I mean, obviously like there's more depth and richness to like Cora's character because it's like a human who was tempted and did something bad thinking, you know, maybe with the best intentions. So I don't know. I guess it's, it's interesting to like compare those characters and in the story. Yeah. Which you can't help but do because they're the only like two chicks that showed up so far. <laughs> and then, yeah, so like the now Tom has his dad like thrown over his shoulder and they see like they're kind of walking up this winding path. So r- real quick, I just want to say that's where the break would have been. Um, okay. This is the end of the first issue. Yeah. The last page of the first issue would have been when Cora's sobbing and they start and they start their way up into the dark when cool. he's going saying it's too late for me. He's gonna have he's gonna have me speaking about the crooked man, Tom. But if I can go if I can can do right by her, meaning Cora and my pa, I guess I'll have done something, you know? So yeah. so I think that that's the end of the first issue. So our, our second issue starts with that almost silent page of seeing her familiar still in the bottle. And then we I love I love too the end of this last page of that then. If that's the end of the first issue. This idea of him, like, Tom's very clearly, like, seeking redemption for what he perceives to be these, like, horrible things. Like, even, like, dipping his toe in witchcraft at all. Yeah. And, like, like uh, the idea of it, kind of, like, playing with the idea of it at all. And, like, renouncing God and <laughs> pledging yourself yeah. to Satan. He, like, cl- regrets it and he wants this literal path to redemption now we see at the end of this, uh, at this page. And it's this dark, winding, crooked path of, like, things that he, you know, he's going to have to do things that maybe he doesn't know if they're right. Or there's, like, ambiguity. The path is, like, obscured by trees, literally. So it's, like, a path that he can't quite see. He doesn't quite know what he's going to have to do yet. So it's just a nice visual representation for what's going on in Tom's head. Uh, Yeah, I really, really like that. I'm with you. Yeah. And then the beginning of this next, of the second issue, then, opens with that uh, Cora's familiar hissing away in a bottle with the door still left open. They just like, they left in a hurry. Yeah, this familiar is great too. It has the same, it's the same thing as like the, the twigs and stuff like that. Like it has weight. It feels so solid instead of like, you know, it's a bug. You could draw it with like little, <laughs> you could draw it more simply, yeah. I think. But this is like such a, such a well done, nasty looking bug with like these little nodules all over it and like little hairs and. It's a great little nasty close-up and a little foreshadowing for what's going to happen later in, I think, this issue. 
Yes. Yeah, we see this path winding up. It's it's the daytime now, you know, probably like mid-morning or something. Hellboy offers to carry the, his dad. Tom's like, no, I've got to carry him. And then basically is like, it's like that story that one old fellow had to, his sins tied up in a sack and had to carry him for, it's like a penance for the foolishness of my youth. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, do you feel, they're, they're like walking up to this um, area of the hills called the hurricane. And they like ask Hellboy if he feels it yet. Cora's like, you will. They're ba- they're going to like an evil place or a place surrounded by evil or something. Yeah. And they kind of talk about that for a minute. Cora stops. She's like, I can't go any further. The mines. And they sort of talk about how there's like these old coal mines. And there were like there were these like men who died down in the coal mines and these witches who lived up there, which is like this is OK. So they call them the Melungeon Witches. Which I googled Melungeon and it's kind of a slur. Ooh. It's like, it's like, it's not exactly a slur. It's like, it kind of is. It's just like a term for like biracial people. It was like Appalachians, like white, white people who were up in the hills who had like mixed race ancestry with like native people or black people. And so that's kind of, it's like mulatto or something like that. Wow. It's like, it's not great. <laughs> it's like, good. It's not common, but it's like, if anything, that makes it, it almost feels like worse where it's like, yikes, this is like a hyper specific, like weird way that certainly white people categorized people with like mixed ancestry. Again, I think it comes back to like how like men made witches, like witches because, well, I'm being tempted, but I'm not want to blame myself. So I'm going to make you even how it's put here. Like, I think, I think Mignola, you know. I don't think Mignola is a bad writer, but I think the way that it's put here is a little tricky because the Hellboy says the who, because uh, he has never heard of them because it's like a hyper specific location kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And then Tom describes them Melungeons, supposed to be descended from the settlers who disappeared at Roanoke Island, got mixed in with the uh, Croatan Indians. There are all kinds of crazy stories about them. And then you see this depiction of them that's like, this sort of like like bone through the nose and like one of them has like a cleft palate and has like three eyes. Yeah, yeah. They're like hyper deformed. One's holding a bat by the wings and like, um, you know, just depicted in a kind of a way that could be construed as like pretty fucking racist. I would agree. Um, yeah. And I think too, like to imply that. So like there were the settlers who disappeared at Roanoke. It kind of makes it seem like they were it's like. The basically like engines kidnapped the settlers at Roanoke and like mm. raped them or something, which like, you know, I'm I'm sure like in wars with between like native people and white people who are like coming here to colonize America. Like, I'm sure that there were horrible atrocities committed by both. Obviously, fucking white people decimated Native Americans and like fucking took all their land. And, you know, it's like. It's like what it just it's like, how do you want to depict this? You know, it, yeah. it just it feels a little it's wearing it doesn't feel great. I, it's wearing I, it's I mean, a, it's wearing its age, whereas like for sure, I, for sure. I wouldn't want to like if I was to sit down and write something like this, I wouldn't want to do that. Because, again, it's another thing of like wh- whether Mignola knows that now or not. I don't know. I, that's a conversation that he'll have to have with himself, most likely. But it's also like it, it, I mean, he's basing it on these other stories. He's basing it on like. You know, like there were like, it's like, okay, they're, I don't know. I I don't know. Well, again, I agree with you. I think that's where I've come to the point now, like wanting to be anti-racist. 
I would I would be bumped by this if I was creating it and be like, well, you know, by me, my me using what they know, it's sort of like a safeguard to say, well, this is what they believe. So I'm using it. I would no longer be able right. to me personally be able to be like, that's a safeguard to me. It's like, well, if I'm choosing to be anti-racist, you're still depicting. Right. It. I would be like, it's like, I don't want to demonize the idea of like inter interracial like or you know what I mean? Or mixed race humans as being evil, which these yeah. this old tell is doing. Right. So right. I'd be like, nope. And not even if, yeah, it's like you said, it's like even if that's true of these stories that he's drawing from, it's like how like do you you have to have you have to I guess you're putting a lot of faith in the reader to be very discerning about that. Yeah. You and to to the, to the degree where it's like, are you being crystal fucking clear about what you want to say with this? You know, for sure. Um, and again, I mean, I yeah. think there's a, I get that there's a safeguard to say, well, it's just about witches and they're, we're playing in supernatural. But again, I think it is, I think it's good that we are questioning it now. We don't, I think it's yeah. better that I, we read it, we get bumped, we acknowledge it rather than just be like, well, it is, it's fine. Cause it's like, well, and it's like whose story is, it comes down to also, it's like, whose story is it to tell? Like if there, if, if there were like, if there were, witches who lived in this area who's like or whatever like uh just any kind of like native person who lived in that area is it necessarily one person or like is it necessarily like this white guy's story to tell maybe not like i mean you know like that's the whole thing of it's not like it's not like all stories are off limits obviously you can fucking write it's you know you can write a story about whatever the fuck you want, but people don't have to like it. <laughs> yeah, know? people don't have to like it. People don't it. have to look at it and be like, oh, this is an accurate representation of whatever the fuck you're telling a story about. As a reader, just fucking, it's like you said, just be aware of like, this is fucking weird. Yeah. And try to acknowledge like why. Yeah, I think you'll be ben you'll, you'll benefit it in the long run if you acknowledge mm -hmm. why that is uncomfortable, why that's, you know, there's a, there's a bit of racism in there. Acknowledge yeah. it. And that aside, too, like, you know, I was looking at, I was reading this stuff about, um, you know how they remade Witches with, like, Anne Hathaway or whatever? Oh, yeah. The, um, the big controversy on that. Yeah, with, like, her, I guess, like, her, like, her, like, limbs and the way, like, there's, like, this whole thing of, like, people who were either, like, born with their limbs not completely, like, without, like, five fingers or whatever, like, however they were born. Mm -hmm. and it was, like, these... Features are always used to de to depict a character as evil in stories. And I'm like, I never even fucking really thought about that too much. And like, I grew up with some kids who like, there were some kids in my neighborhood who like, basically they had like no arms. Like they were born with these two brothers who were like born with uh, either like very, very like smaller, like one arm or like no arms. And it was like, I mean, fortunately as kids, we weren't like, you know, they just hung out with us. It was like totally fine. But it's like I beyond that, beyond just like knowing those guys, I never thought about the depiction of people with like, you know, I guess like limb differences or I don't know how exactly to say, but I don't know. The extreme, um, but I know what you're the, saying. Yeah, it's it's you know, so to like depict a to depict like an evil character with like a cleft palate or like some other deformity. is also just something to think about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Just like, I mean, but that, that it's like it's hard. It's like it's like you because you don't you you just don't want to like dehumanize a human in the process of telling your story. Maybe I don't know. I do. I think it, I think you I think also, though, I think in the long run, if you give it the time and you think that much about it, 
and you still push to tell your story, you'll come out on the other end with something richer, something that's more. Yeah. You'll just, you know what I mean? I think to a lot of people, the, the defense is just like, we just can't, we're being PC. We can't think about it that much. You got to not be so sensitive. I'm like, I think, I think be sensitive. I don't think it's but ever a wrong thing to think about something. I agree. I think that sit, us talking about it and thinking about it, what does that hurt anyone as opposed to just like fucking blindly reading something and taking it at face value and, and like not analyzing it? Like that's fucking dumb. Yeah, I would agree. Um, <laughs> and I'm not saying that there, obviously these are two extremely talented people between like Corbin and Mignola who are working on the story. That doesn't mean that everything that they create is flawless or like without you know, without some like little blemish or something where it's like, yeah, this kind of like isn't the best, but it's, you know, and that's not to say the story as a whole is fucking bad or that the, you know, obviously like when I Googled this, it was like, yeah, this is like, uh, the term Melungeon was traditionally considered an insult, a label applied to Appalachians who were by appearance or reputation of mixed race ancestry. So like this shit existed in this area and you know, maybe depicting it as is like something to be like, can, something to have you consider this. But yeah, just basically like readers just fucking use your brain and think about something and think about like why it's depicted. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's smart. We, we got fucking caught up on hey, this one I, panel, I'm man. Glad we did. <laughs> yeah. Cause like literally, and then Tom goes, they're supposed to be a special kind of evil. You know, it's like, okay, like let's think about, think about when you read yeah, shit that's, like this. That's, Think about what you take away from this, <laughs> you know, and it just talks about how there was a cave in where miners got trapped, um, you know, read white miners. And then a bunch of these uh, <laughs> witches flew up, which, again, uh, I think all these details about these witches like feeding on trapped men is delightful. It's just that right. if you add on that like racist <laughs> derogatory term, you're like, well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, just think about that. Think about that a little bit. Think about how they're depicted. Think about how their faces are depicted mm -hmm. as opposed to like Tom's face or Cora's face. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just think about that. So yeah, the witches flew down there and ate all those guys. And then we see a shot of like these like zombified, you assume either the witches or the miners or both, but I guess the witch is like calling Cora's name. She's like, oh my God, they know my name. <laughs> I guess the I guess they're like the bodies or the zombies of these these witches that they were talking about calling out to Cora. She's like, yeah, I don't want to go. This is bad. It's getting really bad. You guys just go. But Tom's like determined to keep like going to this church to bury his father. But these witches keep calling after Cora over and over. And finally she screams this giant like fucking millipede evil looking green glowing worm crawls out of her fucking mouth. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's so nasty. She's like, run, go. And they're like, uh, Cora, you gotta. And then like before Tom can even finish the sentence, she becomes bloated and huge and vomiting. And then it just explodes like fucking Oogie Boogie and like Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas or something. Just like explodes in this like cloud of bugs and frogs and snakes and bats, which come and like attack Hellboy and Tom and Hellboy's just like punching at them, but they're like writhing everywhere and covering him. And as they cover him, he sort of has this vision 
where he hears what Tom was saying earlier in the first issue. Back in 44, some guys found me, or this is him saying, back in 44, some guys found me in an old church. A church, you say? That's fine. And Hellboy sees a church, like a beautiful, ornate church with like the doors opening with this green glowing light emanating from it. And he walks over to the church uh, with the dialogue, every, or with the his uh, uh, Tom's dialogue, everybody knows the devil can't set foot in a church. And then a figure, a hooded figure who's at the altar, whose face is hidden, you don't really believe that, do you? As it turns, it's like a skeleton with all of these, the same things that like busted out of Korra, like all of the bats with like just teeth and no eyes and like uh, horrible like frog creatures and shit like spilling out. Um, so yeah, this terrible vision when Hellboy's like, engulfed by all of these gross creatures uh yeah so we see the devil depicted here basically or some kind of demon being like you know basically inside the church with like all those devil guts and bugs spilling out i love the bats in there if you look at the detail the bats really don't have a face they're just like a bat body with a tiny little mouth <laughs> just this little round gnawing <laughs> gnashing teeth mouth it's really cool um yeah, so Cora blew up into a, a cloud of bugs. Uh, Tom's like, okay, we get, like, we'll be okay. We got out of there. I think I used my lucky bone to do that, though, which is bad. And then we see um, Effie floating in this, like, chasm in the, in the woods, this, like, dark spot in the woods. She says, that's right, Tommy. He gave you that power, and you finally used it. Like, I get the, you get the impression that she's like, now she's looking creepier and creepier. Like her eyes look kind of clouded over and she's like smiling in this more like like demented way. If he didn't own you before, he sure as hell owns you now. Hellboy says, shut up, shoots a branch close by and says like, oh, I kind of wish I shot her when she was on that horse. I mean, your dad, <laughs> which is so sad. And they're like, how far is the church? Not far. They come upon it. It's like this really dilapidated old church, but there's a light on inside. And they go inside and the priest is there. And he's like, yeah, I knew you were coming. Uh, the girl told me, can't you see her? But he's the priest himself is blind. They're like, you don't you don't see her. Well, maybe she's a ghost. And so it's like Cora Fisher's ghost came by to like tell the priest, hey, these guys are coming. And Tom's just pretty much worried that like, you know, Cora died and she must hate him. And like, but her soul was saved. So it's OK. Um, he's like, I got to bury my pa, but we'll wait until the morning. Hellboy says, good idea, because he's looking out the window and there's all of these like creepy witches just gathering around the perimeter Whoa. of the churchyard but the you know the priest is like this is consecrated ground they can't come on it like night or day they can't come on here oh yeah it's also suddenly like pitch black night like or it's, it has been ever since like cora blew up um even though it was like just afternoon so yeah you get the sense that like this area is just like completely saturated with evil yeah yeah so like tom's basically like repenting to this priest like when i was a kid i got mixed up in witchcraft and uh, the priest tells him, you are a fool, Tom, and I guess it's right for you to suffer for it, but the Lord knows you've straightened yourself out. You'll be fine. He's kind of like, I'm just, just his same deal. Like, he's worried that his soul's doomed. Um, Effie Cobb's out there like, Tommy, with like her titties out and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying to call him and get him to come out. And then, of course, who shows up but the crooked man? He, like, emerges from the shadows in the woods, kind of the same way that he showed up the first time. 
really great. So effective. Yeah. To have this like creepy top hat sort of like peeking out. And the witch is kind of like turned to acknowledge him. Uh, the crooked man. Yeah. And you hear him say, I ain't afraid of him. And I sure as hell ain't afraid of you. You've got Tom Farrell in there, and that boy owes me something, and I'm come to collect. <laughs> With like this drooping, like jaw and lip. Oh, I love that we get like that's when we get a full picture of our crooked band at the end of yeah. that issue too. <laughs> yeah, I love that whole sequence though, leading up to that because I love that Hellboy's just about to go do his thing. You know what I mean, like. I'm going right. to go punch some witches. I'll take care of this. But yeah. they're like, no, the priest holds him back. And I love it. it's the crooked man. It's like, let him go. I yeah. don't care. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's just become like more and more of like a caricature too. He's like this even more twisted kind of a guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. A great little cliffhanger for the end of the uh, of those two issues. Yeah. Very spooky, man. I, yeah, very spooky. And I think that they love that they've they've allowed the atmosphere to breathe. I think that's what's also what I love about the length and the depth and density that these three issues have is that yeah. it does like we're not getting to a Hellboy and in, in, in main monster even confronting each other until now. Mm-hmm. And I think in an, I think in a normal storyline, we would have gotten there already, possibly. Yeah, um, there would have been like a floor crash by now. I mean, we did have, you know, we had, we did have some, it, it, yeah, it, there's like moments of the highs and lows and lows, not like that they're bad, but just like, a, like you said, a breath in between the action that gives the action itself more weight once you get to it. So like the storytelling and like way that it's being like plotted out from page to page is, is really cool and really adds to the kind of suspense of like, we know that the crooked man's coming back and we're we're dreading it because he's horrible to behold and to you know he's gonna do something fucking awful when he gets there because we've saw Effie die in like one of the most painful ways I could imagine, I guess, blowing up with bugs. Yeah. <laughs> the worst part to me is even before the explosion is that that one bug comes out and then retracts back in, then bloats her, then bursts. Yeah, oh. dude. Ugh. The whole sequence is disgusting. <laughs> like when you swallow vomit <laughs> oh yeah that's exactly what it's like, like. yeah like throw up a little in your mouth and you're like i wish i was dead <laughs> yeah any any favorite moments uh from these first two issues i just love whenever the crooked man emerges from the trees like i mean we kind of already talked about that for a while but uh yeah i just think that's such a great way to kind of play with the environment and i think it it incorporates the the like kind of creepiness of I think like Corbin really incorporates the creepiness of the like landscape with the story itself they're like really inseparable there's so you know it's just like a local story and the fucking devil with all the bugs coming out of him is really cool in the church (laughs) I don't know what about you oh I mean there's so much I like about this because I think it's I I love that shadow is such a a part of the whole story and yeah. I even think that starts from the beginning of the first page where we get things that are already in silhouette. So it's like it gives you that mm-hmm. that feel of like maybe the only time in these mountains that you get or you feel safe is at high noon. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> Everything is shrouded. Everything is like half hidden. There's secrets in these mountains and it's like 
literally being depicted by having half of everything covered in complete black shadow. Yeah. And I think that throughout yeah. that consistency, like you said, and having it feels like the the environment is a breathing thing, with which is, of course, full of evil in this case. I, what do I think is my absolute... I, I have to say, and this is going to bend a little into like um, like a suggestion segment as well. I really yeah. like when we get to the mines, the cutaways to the witch, the old witches underneath the, with that yellow glow or excuse me, green glow. Yeah. Um, it remi- I, do, I really like those little quick snaps to Korra and like the intensity that's building there. It reminds me of a lot of the, oh, so the witches there, aside from their like their racist origins, the design of the witches and it remind me of a lot of um, Suspiria. In in Dario Argento's which which is yeah yeah and like the vibrance of the colors from Dario Argento as well and if you've seen the remake which I think is fucking fantastic as well I love both versions I really do do yeah they're so they're both so great because when you see like the witches they're like bigger they're you know yeah they're like they have like they're they're old women that have weight on their bodies. And, but yeah. they don't they don't lose power because of it. They like almost no. feels like they're they're glutton they're stronger. The power. Yeah, it's like yeah. And I feel like that's a little bit in there, which reminds me of that. And I really love that. I just I think the pacing again. I'm gonna I feel like a broken record. I don't really have a panel that I'm like oh this panel really. Other than I love that the when we first finally see the crooked man, I think his that whole intro reintroduction to him being in the present is fucking fantastic. I think it's just the overall flow of this is so good. And again, I wanted to say, I think Mignola really has pushed himself to be like, well, I'm going to write this style of story mm-hmm. and sort of like, he, and then he, but he doesn't, he does a thing where he's like, I feel like I'm reading something. Hellboy's dropped into another genre or another, yeah. s- another even style of writing. And I think Mignola is doing that so well, but then he doesn't lose our humor that we love or like what we love about Hellboy. And that's like, I think a lot of the, my favorite moments are when we get the reminder that like, yeah, this is a Hellboy book. Right. Like the crap moment um, of her. Yeah. They can, <laughs> yeah. They're very much like a spice on this other story. You know, it's like sprinkled in to be like, Oh yeah. Hellboy's here by the way. <laughs> yeah. And even then when we discover Cora's skin, the way that Hellboy yeah. is so nonchalantly holding up her skin. Oh, like, uh, Tom. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. And then lastly, you need a little levity in this story too. It's like fucking dark. Totally. And I yeah. think that he was smart to realize that it's not the, the the ablation characters they're not going to bring the levity it's my character that i created yeah that i put him and by dropping in here he's already going to bring his own levity to this as a mm-hmm. wanderer into this world and he uses it so well so sparingly that it doesn't overtake anything it just is there like again like you laughed at the line about the horse when he's just like i should have shot her i love that yeah. and there's two jokes yeah. in there i love that he's a bad shot he shoots. Right. He shoots at her. Hits a fucking tree. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, "Well, I should have shot her earlier when he was on the horse." I mean, your dad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's yeah. He's almost like the most bumbly. Like I, I think like a lot of times like southern or like hillbilly characters are depicted as being like comically stupid, but like they're people, and this is a very dramatic story that's being told. And Hellboy really is kind of the goof in this, rather than like any of the like 
people that live there. Yes. You know what I was thinking too, like with um, Corbin's drawings and stuff. There's like this. If you want to geek out with like an art school word, uh, chiaroscuro. Uh, it's like C H I A R O S C U R O, and it's like a term to describe like super dark and super light in the same image to like give a 3D effect, but also like a super dramatic look. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kept thinking for when I was looking at this. So I was like, there's just a lot of that happening. Yeah. A lot of like completely like blocks of black with the with like otherwise like bright light or whatever. It's cool. It's very cool. And again, it, yeah, it, I think <laughs> it's, it's very cool to see an artist integrate, like be used in such a correct way. Like literally Mignola said he wrote this for them, but you can tell it's not just like, I like this. I'll just write them something. It's like, this is really designed for what Corbin is bringing to the table. Which is so much. He just elevates stuff. It's like the same. I mean, the same with, with Mignola. He is, they're comic artists, but it's, it's elevated. It's certainly art. Like without question. Yeah, and of course, Dave Stewart, of course, kills it with these every color. Oh, man, just a complete MVP of the entire Hellboy series. Like, he's the, he's the man. He really is. He's so is. cool. God, he's, he's absolutely MVP for years. <laughs> Everything, yeah. that, like anything I t- see that he's even still doing, I'm like, oh, God, you're so good, Dave Stewart. He's ridiculous. And I really, I want to I point out, because you said you loved that demon that with all the, that turns in the church. In his vision. Yeah. It feels yeah. like that's a just a, cl- like, that panel alone when he says, do you, feels like a classic fucking, somebody would lift that design to inspire their their heavy metal album cover. Totally. <laughs> it's fucking sick as hell. It's so cool. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I I'm, 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 could just honestly just keep dripping um, praise for this story. I just. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it almost feels repetitive in the way that I'm doing it. Cause it just feels like, I just want to be, you should, if you, if you like Hellboy and you haven't read this one, you should be stop everything. Go read the crooked man. <laughs> yeah. You could re- literally look at every panel and just gush over it for, you know, forever. Yeah. It's high art in, in the world that really doesn't get always that respect. So For sure. Um, good example. This is like, like, I don't know. I pull this out. You know how like a lot of people are like, well, I, you 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 don't respect comic books. Well, I'm gonna. You need to read Watchmen and you read The Dark Knight, and it will change your mind. That classic thing. Mm-hmm. There's many other things that I could throw out into that now. I'd be like Saga and so forth. Yeah. This is one that I might pull into that and be like, okay, well, check out the. You don't need to if you don't want to read a whole series. Check out the Crooked Man because yeah. I think this will, especially for like a horror fan or it's. This is really one of the spookiest. Hellboy stories we've read, I think. I agree. A lot of times it's like leans, like there's a lot of like moodiness and stuff, but for me, the action, like the action in here is minimal. It feels very real, which makes it scarier to me. I'm with you on that. It's like, it is a great horror movie where it's like the world is so grounded that we believe it. And then the, the, when the extraordinary or horrific thing shows up because everything around it is so grounded you're like, well, that I I can't deny that that thing's re- not real, right? Right. <laughs> Ooh, creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to get to issue uh, the, the final issue three on the next uh, yeah. episode. 
um, with you. That being said, um, any suggestions or any other additional suggestions or anything that's made you think of as we read it? Is, to This is, I mean, I, this hasn't come out yet, but uh, James, uh, did I already talk about Ultra Mega? Yeah, you did. Episode? You plugged it. I actually oh, then put never it in, mind. <laughs> I put Ultra Mega into my, uh, my uh, subscriptions. Yeah, I called Secret Headquarters and put it in there because Dave Stewart also has, yeah. uh, he's in that too, um, has, did the coloring for that. Um, uh, others, oh, you know what? I, I If you're buying Girl Scout cookies, there's this like New York Girl Scout cookie troop that like gives the money to like, to like kids who really fucking need it, I guess. Like if you're buying Girl Scout cookies anyway, let me find the exact like troop name. Awesome. I think it's like Troop 6000 or something. Hold on. Troop 6000 or like the Girl Scouts uh, NYC because they like they they give uh, they give like money to like Girl Scouts who are like going through homelessness and stuff. And it's like really cool. It's like a really they just do a really cool thing. With, I'm sure like all the Girl Scouts are like using the money for something good, but it, that seems like a really fucking good reason. That's great. I love that. Then just eat 5,000 Thin Mints and be like, I'm helping. <laughs> <laughs> Solid. Like me. Solid. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the only other thing I could suggest, I think, just off of our reading of it, what popped in my mind is I loved I loved the way the witches surrounded the church. They just sort of like yeah. that, that like straight line that circled around the church and they're just very stoic staring in they're not they're imposing but they're not making a move which almost feels unset more unsettling and scary than if they were to attack yeah, the super. church it reminded yeah. me of a lot of oh um recently we finished we watched the whole series of the leftovers on hbo oh, cool i i i highly enjoyed it i i'm a big fan of it Damon Lindelof after Watchmen has really just won me over. And this was another one that added to that. But I have to watch there's it. There's a group in it called the Guilty Remnant. And they pretty much in pairs do this to people. They like stand outside yeah. of a house and they don't attack or speak. They just sit there and stare at them. And that, that this no, reminds me you. of that a lot. So check out The Leftovers if you're interested in some fun. Um, mis- you might even say at times too many mysteries at once happening. <laughs> <laughs> too many goddamn mysteries but i'm uh, i was a huge fan i'll get into it. it awesome yeah i'll watch it um great and then before we close out this episode i just wanted to give a, a big shout out to, and a reminder to um this is a shout out plus a reminder to listeners if you haven't um this is i'm calling this segment just more mignola slash hell to pay reminder it's the quarantine sketchbook which um of course we all know mignola over the during court the the major part of quarantine is doing these sketches. He was selling them on eBay. That would benefit. And it was a charity um, benefit for world central kitchen, which was feeding people in that needed to be, of course they couldn't help themselves during the quarantine. But again, that's, I mean, even before quarantine people, there's people struggling in this world, but his it's coming out in March. You can still pre-order it now through dark horse or call your local comic book shop because the proceeds go directly from this book that Dark Horse is putting out, which is a collection of all of Mignola's quarantine sketches, which I think is brilliant. But you can pre-order that because that's coming in March, if I remember correctly. Let's see if I got the date right. Yeah, so the the quarantine um, sketchbook will be available in comic book stores beginning of March 3rd of 2021. It's only $35.99. Its oversized hardcover will be 232 pages long. So that's a lot of cool Mignola... um, quarantine sketch material 
Again, that will benefit uh, Chef Jose Andreas of the World, the World Central Kitchen. So, and it's just great because, I mean, he just was sitting around and pretty much said, hey, I'm doing these for fun online. And then he was like, they, him and his wife decided to help the world, you know, in a better way. Him and Christine Mignola, of course. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to plug that one more time because we all still have time to, if you haven't already pre-ordered it, you can. It's a cool thing from one of our favorite artists and writers in, in the world of comic books. And it benefits, um, it's a charity and it benefits a great organization and helps the world. So. Yeah. Um. So go ahead, go out there, get that, get that quarantine sketchbook. Um. But we want to hear from you out there. Um, we want to hear your thoughts on the crooked man. We want to hear your your thoughts on the creepiness of it, the the atmosphere that they're creating. Your thoughts on Mignola's writing in this different sort of an injection of a different um, style into his comic, as well as Richard Corbin and Dave Stewart's contributions into this story. Um, you can share your thoughts with us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. Um, we will read your emails right here, so please share those with us. Um, also, follow us on uh, social media for this season five. You can do that on Instagram at awcrapahellboypodcast. Twitter is awcrapahellboy. Um, we don't share. If you have any thoughts, and you, we'll, we'll definitely respond to them on those social medias. Um, like if you comment, we'll respond to that. Just be aware if you want your thoughts on the show, go ahead and email us again at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. And if you could, please go out of your way to go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. If you give us a five-star review that starts with the word boom on Apple Podcasts, we will read your review right here on the show and give you a big old shout out. We call those boom reviews. So please give us a boom review. Um, That will bring more listeners to the show. We can continue to talk and discuss and enjoy all of the Hellboy universe together. (laughs) Um, But again, if you are on any other platform, if it gives you the option to rate and review, please do that. But that is it. Um, Any final thoughts before we get out of here, Cade? That's that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That is it. it. That's it for this episode. Um, Excited to, to um, continue and finish out this story. The next episode of The Crooked Man will be reading issue three next episode and finish that storyline out. This will get more spooked out, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you again out there for listening. And remember, we love you. That kind of made, you know, it's like every, what, what? I'm sorry. Beth is being very distracting. (laughs) (laughs) She's just giving me insane stares. She's playing. Sorry, I'm going to let this out. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. Go on. I was trying to listen and then she's. What is she looking at you? Well, we're scheduled till one. And then we probably will go over. You're just giving me a stare like I'm in her. Like we'll try. She's giving, we'll go no, quick. No, we're not. We're not. We're doing our thing. Uh, she was just giving me a stare, like like almost like as if I was missing our like wedding. Like we have our wedding today. <laughs> I'm projecting, but she doesn't realize the look she gave me. It's so funny. It's like Jess walking in here slamming the drawers. I'm like, dude, I'm recording. <laughs> She's playing. Okay. Oh, hello, you. What's up, hoes? I'm Mary Kay McBrayer. I'm Mary Amelia Byer. I'm Rachel Estridge. And we like scary movies. Let's be more specific. We like analyzing scary movies. 
Okay, but let's be a little bit more specific. We like making fun of scary movies. Let's be even more specific. We have to make fun of scary movies so that we can sleep at night. We host a horror comedy podcast called Everything Trying to Kill You that rips all your fave horror movies a new one. And bonus, we'll tell you jokes from the perspectives of... Feminist ethnic minorities. And queer women. Which might be something you haven't considered before. Sure looks like Hollywood hasn't. So check out Everything Trying to Kill You. New episodes every other Friday on Campfire Media. Campfire.